Our Father, through the days of our lives, the ups and downs, the, the joys and the sorrows, the accomplishments and the setbacks, the days of health and the days of sickness, how grateful we are that you oversee our lives. Thank you for your oversight of our lives and of the whole world. We can easily get distracted and begin to think that you're not in charge because so often to us as we look at the affairs of men and governments and uh, Nations falling apart, nations committing suicide by denying you and rejecting you. It seems like things are just out of control. But when we read your book, virtually on every page, we are told that things are not out of control, they are under control. You're a sovereign God. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. His throne is in the heavens. And His sovereignty rules over all. Um, you created the world. You spoke it into existence. You created man and then a woman. That's not real popular anymore, but it's what you did. And Romans 5 basically tells us that if there's no first Adam, then Jesus is not the second Adam. Because if sin didn't come in through the first Adam, there's no need for a Savior to come. But Jesus came. How glad we are. How grateful we are. That we can find forgiveness of our sins and eternal life in Christ alone. And Lord, that is a, a tremendous thing that you do in our lives on a particular, at a particular time. Some of us can identify the time, others of us, uh, that's difficult for us to do. But nevertheless, you worked in our hearts and called us and regenerated us, and we have called on your name, and we are saved by grace. And now we are walking the path of life. In all of this confusion and foolishness and rebellion to you and insanity, which is in the hearts of men, we follow Jesus. And he offers us wisdom. He offers us peace. He offers us forgiveness. You give us uh, principles by which to live and to govern our lives, our personal lives, to govern ourselves, to watch over our families. You give us principles for business and for interacting with people. We follow you. And because we follow you, we read your book. And we want to take the Bible and we want to 
not just be aware of it, but we want to apply it to our lives. Now, that's why we're here tonight. Thank you for these men uh, with their busy schedules, with uh, all the things that are on their plate, and they've made their way here. Um, Teach us by your spirit. Custom. It's amazing how you customize the principles in your word and apply them to every guy sitting here. Only you could do that. No one else in the world could do that. And you do it, and you do it all the time. We ask you to, again, do it tonight for us. And speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our study tonight on the, uh, on the concept of the trail, the path. You see the word path all the time in Scripture. And just to do a, uh, just to do a quick review, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that there are two paths of life. Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, Jesus said, Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Now think about that. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. It's a broad road. It's, don't you love it? After years and years and years, when they finally complete a freeway. <laughs> Do you remember, how many of you guys remember the old I-75 going into downtown? I mean, you couldn't get two VWs side by side on that thing. It was tight. It was tight. And then I remember, was it 90 or 91? I saw a thing in the Dallas Morning News. They're going to completely redo that thing. And I remember reading that, and I thought, that's really wild. And then it said, 10 years. Well, now it's, it's done, and it's been done. Uh, it's congested, but it's done. Because there are more people. Drive it at 3 in the morning. It's wonderful. Uh, broad is the road. Most people are on a... Uh, Ten lane interstate. Every once in a while, I'll count the lanes. I'll be somewhere, I'm driving somewhere, and I'll notice I'll, there's a whole lot of lanes and there's some elbow room. I think the most I've ever counted have been six going each way. That's pretty nice. It's pretty comfortable. It's fun to drive. That, it's, it's kind of an easy road. Everybody's on it. Everybody's moving. Broad is the road, but watch this, it leads to destruction. Most people are on the wrong road, are on the wrong trail, going the wrong direction in life because they're living without Christ. They are, uh, each person on that broad road, uh, they have a God, and uh, you can count on this, everybody on that road is their own God. Or they've got this God, or this God, or this God, or this God, but Jesus is not their God. When Jesus grabs us, 
and regenerates us and pulls, them to, pulls us to himself. And we hear the gospel and we believe the gospel and believe in him alone for forgiveness of sins. He takes us off a broad road and puts us on a narrow road. It's the second trail, the second path. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to life and few are those who find it. So if you're following Christ, if you have an interest in Christ, and you've never been interested in the Lord before, but you find yourself starting, here you are, you're coming, and, and you've never been to Bible study before, great, we're glad to have you. Just, and and it, it's, it's not all clear yet. That's okay. Just keep showing up and keep reading the verses. It'll get clear. And, and there's going to be a time you're going to say, Lord, I want to follow you. Come into my life. Take away my sin. And he will. That might happen for you tonight. Or when you go home tonight. As you're, as you're in bed, it's like C.S. Lewis said. He was, a, he was an atheist for all those years. And uh, had all these conversations with other writers like J.R.R. Tolkien. They all had a writer's group. They hung out at a, at a pub there in, uh, what was that, Oxford or Cambridge? I can hear Oxford. Uh, and they'd have discussions. And he said, you know, he was taking his brother, had a motorcycle with a sidecar. And one afternoon, they went into town, and he got in the sidecar. And he said, all I can tell you is that when I got in the sidecar, I wasn't a Christian, and when I got out of the sidecar... I was a believer in Christ. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. <laughs> well, Jesus changed his trail. Jesus changed his heart. Now, a lot of years went into that. So Jesus established there are two trails in life. So there are two destinations in life. Okay. Last week, we talked about the fact that there is, a, in a sense, there's a third trail that we have to be very, very careful of um, it's called a shortcut. And a shortcut is always a temptation to go against Scripture. Uh, it's, it's a temptation that is put into our minds and hearts that although we know what Scripture says and we know that Scripture is clear, we are tempted to ignore it, to violate it, to willfully go against Scripture because this is a, this is a path that is better and this is a path that has immediate gratification and happiness. So we get conned into take. I mean, God says, you know what God says about sex? God says sex is only for marriage. I mean, can you believe that? Has he not read the Supreme Court briefs? <laughs> it's, it's, it's only for a man and woman, God says. And... It's, it's only within the context of marriage. And it's not the most important thing in life. You can actually live without it. That's what God says. Now, if you're uh, a male, virile, you know, working out. Is it hard to obey Scripture? You're not married? Is that tough? Yeah. Yeah. It can be done. It can be done. Um, our culture, I mean, 
I mean, our culture says, that's impossible. That's cruel. No, God says, no, it's not cruel. It's right. It's right. It's good. Sex is for a husband and wife only within the uh, covenant of marriage. You talk about counterintuitive and going against the culture. See, when you begin to follow Christ, you're always going upstream against the culture. You're never going, you're never going downstream. Um, but we are tempted with a shortcut. And if you're single, you, you know, I remember years ago talking with uh, Bill Counts when he was pastoring in Dallas. And he was just telling me in, in his particular church, they had a whole lot of singles. And he was telling me recently, he talked, he was talking with some other pastors in Dallas, this is 20, 25 years ago. They had a large singles ministry. And to a man, they all said, the biggest problem we have is sexual immorality within our singles ministry. Why? Because no one wants to follow what the Lord says. And we all want a shortcut. Oh, yeah, you know, you're single, you come to Bible study, you're reading the Greek, you're reading the Hebrew, you know, and you meet her, and all of a sudden, you know, well, you know, yeah, but let's take the shortcut, because there's immediate gratification. So that's, that's a third trail. It's a false trail. The thing about that shortcut thing, and it, it, there's all kinds of temptations. It's not just sexual. You know, you can mess around with your taxes or not be up front with somebody or... Uh, you, you know, we don't need to go into all that. But a shortcut is a temptation. And it looks like a better way and an easier way. But it always dumps you out on the road to destruction. It always puts you on the wrong road. Tonight, we're going to look at a fourth trail. The fourth trail, you know, if you go to Yosemite, what a place. Um, Yosemite is not easy to get to. And really, the first guy that did any exploration of Yosemite was a man named John Muir. And today, when you go to Yosemite, and you go into the gift shop and all that, uh, you see all kinds of books on John Muir. And if you want a backpack, you can get on the John Muir Trail. Now, the fourth trail that I see in Scripture is the trail that has your name on it. Uh, I'm on the Steve Farrar trail. Uh, John Harris, I'm not on the John Harris trail. And John's not on my trail. And you're not on your buddy's trail. Yeah, you've got your trail with your name on it. Maybe, you know, for your birthday, your wife can have a little sign made with uh, your name on it and the trail. Nice little thing. Uh, but don't put anybody else's name on your trail because, see, that's their trail. In, in the sovereignty of God and in the providence of God, we looked last week uh, at Psalm 90. Oh, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Uh, in fact, turn to Psalm 90 real quickly. Let me show you this. God spoke the worlds into existence. He created... Uh, Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and to the world. Even, even from everlasting to everlasting, you, you are God. So all human beings, all generations, all genealogies, all family trees, um, we, we go back to our first parents, to Adam and Eve. We, we, you know, it's interesting because when Adam sinned, when he fell, 
uh, the entire human race was in, his, uh, was in Adam, in his loins, literally. And when sin hit and sin devastated, we were all there. Isn't that amazing to think about that? He had the whole entire human race within him. Um, and then you go on in Psalm 90, and I'm not going to hit this tonight. We covered it the other night. Moses gets down to, what is it, verse 10, and then he starts talking about our individual trails. If the, for the days of our life, they contain 70 years due to strength, 80 soon it's gone, but our, its labor is, its pride is but labor and sorrow. Soon it's gone and we fly away. So you have your trail. Your grandpa had his trail. Your great-grandfather had his trail. And the previous generations that you don't even know about. They each have their own trail. Your trail is your particular, um, it's your particular path, and where there's all these connections. You read all these genealogies in the Old Testament, and these genealogies all go back to the beginning. But you, and God oversees all of this. He's sovereign over all of it. He has providence over all of it, and the nations. <clears throat> but he also has his eye on you, and he also has his eye on me. He doesn't ever forget us as individuals. The fourth trail. Let me give you some verses. Psalm 1611 says, You will make known to me the path of life. Watch it. You will make known to me the path of life. Because we're all on a path, we're all on a trail, we're all walking through life. You will make known to me the path of my life. You ever pray and ask God to show you his will? When you pray that, you're not asking for the whole world. You're asking for you because you've got a decision to make on a job that's coming up. Do I go? Do I take it? Do I not? Is it a lateral move? Is it time to change? Lord, show me what you want me to do. Okay. Here's the second verse. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way. You ever do that? You ever do any planning? Yeah, imagine you do. It's a good thing. You've got to have a plan. Got to think about where you're going, all right? The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You look back over your life. When, when you were a young guy and, yeah, you know, go through high school, and then all of a sudden you think, gosh, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to trade school? What am I going to do? Am I going to go in the military? What am I going to do? And then pretty much late teens, early 20s, you start thinking about, what am I going to do with my life? And so you start sketching out some things, and you, I'm interested in this, I'm not interested in that, and you kind of make a rough draft. You kind of make a rough sketch. Some guys are more detailed than others, but let me ask you a question. That rough draft you had in your mind somewhere in the early 20s, and where you are today, how'd that sort out for you? Is it even remotely close? The mind of man plans his way, ah, but the Lord directs his steps. See, it's not that maybe you wanted to study in a particular field, and you did that. Great. Now, are you in that field now? Some guys are, some guys aren't. A lot of guys change when they get around 30 or 40. That's why they have crisis. Man, I put all these years into this, but I don't think I want to do this the rest of my life. Okay, fine. Fine. It's a transition. Lord, give me wisdom. How am I going to do this? Well, I don't know. So I need you to help me on the trail of life. The mind of man plans his way. I love this verse. The mind of man plans his way. I'm going to marry her, but the Lord directs my steps, and I marry her. Isn't that interesting? See, uh, here's what I take from that. 
I've got my plans. God's got better plans. And if your plans wind up, and we all experience this, our plans wind up in disappointment. Our plans wind up in the ditch. Watch God work. Be teachable and get all in with him when you, when, when you drive your own plans into the ditch. And we've all done that. And we make a miss of our lives. We call out on the Lord. And now he's going to show us what he's got in mind. Okay, here's the third verse. This is, this is fascinating and goes along with Proverbs 16, 9. This is Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that, the, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. You say, what? Well, this to me is just a compliment. It's a parallel verse to Psalm 16:9. We have a plan. We kind of sketch out our lives. Oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. Okay. Well, look at where you are right now. How much of that have you actually done? Some, maybe a little, maybe, well, yeah, I, I, hit, I, I hit a fair amount. Great. You get it all down. Why? Because God has things in mind we don't know nothing about. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Watch that. Eye has not seen. Your eye hasn't seen. Your ear hasn't heard what God has prepared for those who love him. All you know is what you got on your radar. We've all done this. It's what we do. Let me read that again. Uh, Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Why? Because the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his In other words, Lord, you're directing my steps. And we ask him to direct our steps. Do we not? Those, those two go together. Now, we have a will, and we are responsible to make decisions, and we ask God for wisdom. You know what I love is that God's going to get me where I need to be. In, in spite of my foolishness and my stupidity and my sin and my rebellion, he's got a plan for me, and he's going to get me there. Philippians, is it one, four, or six? I can't remember. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. He's going to get you where you need to be and where he wants you to be. Okay, here's another verse. Familiar verse here, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And see, this is all about your individual trail, the trail with your name on it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Why? Because about half the time in life, you can't figure out where the heck your trail is going. Right? And what you thought was going to work isn't working. And those goals you had laid out that you were going to achieve by the time you're 40, you haven't made it. There are reasons guys go into midlife crisis. One reason is the guys at 40 who have set all these goals in their youth, and they get to 40, and they're shaving, and they're looking in the mirror one day, and it hits them that all those things they were going to do at 40, well, they're 40, and they haven't hit their goals. So what happens? They go into crisis. You know who goes in the biggest crisis of all? The guys who were shaven who had all the goals, and they hit 40, and at 40, they hit the goals. Because now what do they do? They hit them. 
and they're still unfulfilled. Something's missing. Yeah, I made that money. I built that business. But you know what? There's got to be more than this. Okay. All right, so we're talking about the trail of life. We're talking about the path of life. We're talking about your individual trail and my individual trail. There's a timeline for your life. You were conceived. You were born. You're going to die. Can you remember? Is it Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9? Somewhere in there. It's appointed for a man once to die, and then comes judgment. By the way, in the midst of these verses, don't ever forget, and I, I, think, I think I quote this verse every week. Psalm 139.16. Uh, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. God knew you when you were a sperm and an egg. You want to see an interesting video. There's a website called the Gospel Coalition. That's all you got to remember. Google the Gospel Coalition and then put in the name Justin Taylor. J-U-S-T-I-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And that'll take you to his blog. And in the last week, he put up a four-minute video. It's one of the wildest videos I've ever seen in my life. Nine months of a baby's development in four minutes. It's incredible. I mean, you know, when you got to spare four minutes, you'll just be going, this, Lord, this is incredible. It, it, it just, you just see 139, 16 of Psalms, and you just see it. David said, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. When you were just a sperm in Adam, I mean, the whole, your grandpa, I, I, I understand what I'm saying. I, I, I know I'm not hitting this precisely, but I'm saying the whole human race was in Adam. He said to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1, before I formed you, I knew you. He knew the whole human race, and the whole human race was in Adam. Okay. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book, before you were conceived, in thy book, they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. That's your trail, man. That is your trail. There's conception, there's birth. You have X amount of years, and then you die, and if you know Christ, you're with Christ forever. If you don't know Christ, you enter into eternal judgment. And Jesus was very clear about that. So call on Christ. If you have the Son, you don't enter into judgment. Okay. Okay, I got a question for you. And here's my question. We're on the trail of life, okay? Everybody's life is different. Some guys are just getting started on the trail of life. Some guys are at the midpoint. Some of you guys are getting older. Uh, that's just where you are. By the way, I said, some guys are getting older. We're all, we're all older, are we not? But you know what I mean. You know you don't have 40 years left because you're 80. 
right? They don't live to be over 120. Yeah, that, that didn't happen anymore. When we all know there's an end. What is that? Was it Psalm 49 or Psalm 39 I quoted the other day? I think it's 39. Lord, make me to know my end. How many breaths do I have left? Okay. Now, so we're all on the trail of life. All right, now, let me ask you something. Where did you get your life? How the heck did you get on the trail of life in the first place? Now, this is such a basic, fundamental question that we never really think about it. Oh, I'm just living, and I'm doing what I can do, and trying to make my mortgage payments, and, you know, do all this, and retire early, and all this. Okay, well, that's fine and good. How the heck did you ever get into this life thing? Were you just bored and decided to go online and apply for life? No. You were given life. You weren't asked for your permission. You were just given life by Almighty God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 7, it's worth turning over there, if you would, please. We, we talked a couple weeks ago about think about the end of your trail. And that's a very good thing to do. Think about where you're going. But you know what also is a good thing? Think about where you came from and how you got life in the first place. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says this. What do you have that you did not receive. Now watch this. He goes on. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything you have has been given to you. Now, now, we're going to see in a minute that God gives us gifts and God gives us abilities and aptitudes and, and God wants us he gives us skills and all that. We all have different skills. I'll touch on this in a minute. But here's the deal. God gives you gifts, but you've seen gifted people, as I have seen gifted people, who waste their gifts. Right? You've seen athletes waste their gifts. The, the guys you admire are the athletes that are incredibly gifted who just work hard. I, I remember watching something on ESPN about Walter Payton and his workout schedule. He had this hill he ran at home in Mississippi. I mean, guys would just keel over. Got, got guys that were in shape. He was gifted, but he had a work ethic. That's what separates the men from the boys. Every guy in here has certain gifts in some area or this area. Or but the difference is, what do you do with the gifts that you've been given? You can squander them. And, and, and see, there's a whole, there's an there's a, there's a individual in the book of Proverbs who is addressed, who is called the sluggard. And, and is, uh, who said this? Derek Kidner. The, the sluggard is the three characteristics of a sluggard. He will not start anything. He will not finish anything. He will not deal with anything. He's a sluggard. He won't work. It's too much of an effort to get out of bed. He's got gifts, but so you see, God gives us gifts, but then we are expected to steward the gifts that he gives to us. Colossians 3, um, whatever you do, do your work heartily 
not as unto men, but as unto Christ. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Yes, he gives me gifts. Yes, I'm to use my gifts and hone my gifts and discipline myself. I am not to be a sluggard. Okay. Back to the question. What do you have that you have not received? Uh, well, I, I built this company. Great. Good for you. You obviously, though, not every guy can build a company because not every guy has the aptitude. Let me tell you something. I could not build a company. I couldn't do it. And guys who know me well, they would say amen. They're saying amen right now with their hands raised. <laughs> For I couldn't build a company. I know I can't. I wasn't, when God gave those gifts out, I must have been in the, I must have been in the men's room or something. I missed out on those gifts. I don't know how to do that. But I know guys who know how to do it. And when they talk, I, I, I try to listen to them. I don't always get what they're saying, but, you know, I'll mow on it, and I'm, I'm trying to get it, because that's obviously where they're gifted. So if you built a business, uh, all right, you, you had a certain skill set. Great. But you also worked hard. There are guys who could have built a business who didn't, because they wouldn't work hard. They were lazy. So, you see, there's, there's that which God gives us, and then we have wills, and we have choices, and he wants us to make wise choices. You, this is how it works. Okay. So, here's the question. Where did you get this life that you have? He gave it to you. Let's talk about your mind. You're able to comprehend what's being said. We're able to interact you can read someone's, not only their communication, but their facial expressions. That all goes through your mind. Where, where did you get that? Uh, oh, remember uh, that passage in Proverbs? What's that say? Proverbs 16, mind. The mind of man plans his way. Where did you get a mind to even make a plan? Where did you get it? God gave it to you. What do you have that you have not received? And as we get older, what happens and this scares us because it happens to all of us, we start realizing our minds aren't as sharp as they used to be. That frightens us. Sure, it frightens us. Why? Because that's always been there for us, and when it's not quite what it was, that's just... And then our body's not quite what it was. You see? Man, I'll never have this kind of health again. I'll never have a mind that sharp again. Can I tell you something? If you know Christ, <laughs> he's got something wait for you that you've never ever experienced or even conceived of what he's got for you with your mind and your new resurrected body. He's got health we can't even imagine. We haven't even tasted health yet for what he's got planned for eternity. Now, there's some optimism that's biblically based. Okay. Now, here's something else that I, I, I say often. You only need to come once because I say the same thing every week. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to quit coming. I'm just going to, we're going to play a tape or something. I don't know what we're going to do. The secular man believes that this is the only world that there is. 
The follower of Christ believes there is a second world. There is another world. Jesus said it. He declared it. Time and time again, he spoke of a place that he is preparing for us. So, in light of that, turn with me to Matthew 6 real fast. This all has to do with your trail and my trail. The trail with your name on it and my name on it. I, uh, I learned this verse in Sunday school. I was maybe seven years old. Matthew 7, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Here's how I learned it. Where moth and rust doth corrupt. It's the old King James. Okay? Let me read it in the New American Standard. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Does that mean you don't save or have an irony? No, it doesn't mean that. There's a context here. A wise man saves for his children's children. God's not against saving or using financial planning. He's for that. Okay. Just don't make it your God. Just don't make money your God. Don't make stuff your God. Okay. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Watch this. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's another world. The secularist says there is no heaven. Jesus says there is. Who are you going to believe? Okay. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where cell phones don't exist, it says in the New Testament, in the, in the Greek. I just, that just came to me for some reason. Store up for yourself treasures in heavens where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You see? Um, the reason a lot of us don't have more finances is because we don't handle what we have. We, we love it too much. It's very easy for us to love money. It's so easy. It's, it, it just creeps in. You don't mean for it to creep in. Well, how do, what's, so how do I, I don't want to love money. Well, then give more away. Because if you love it, you're not going to give it. But if you love God, you believe God's word, and God says give, and it shall be. Oh, give it unto you. You give, and I'll give to you. I read a biography last week of David Wilkerson, a little country pastor from Pennsylvania who went, first guy to go into the, the gangs of New York in the 50s. And, uh, and then all that God did, his son wrote this biography about his life. And, um, and, and Wilkerson, you know, I mean, he just was a country preacher. And he wound up, he's building churches and schools all over the world. And uh, he, he had a phrase, uh, oh, they were telling a story, they were doing a conference somewhere, and they brought in all these materials, and someone came in and said, oh, there's a rule here, we, you can't sell the material. And David Wilkerson said, fine, give it to him. And the guy on the staff said, what, what, I mean, that's about 15,000 worth of stuff, give it to him. What are you going to do, store it up? Give it to them. These folks need this stuff. Just give it. Why was it what, what was he working off of? Give, and it shall be what? Give it unto you. Press down, shaking together, running over. We believe the word of God. You see? Okay. Uh, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other. He will be voted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. 
You got to love one or the other. Uh, my point, though, in this is that there is another world. Don't just store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. Okay, now, I was reading Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones last week, his volume on the Sermon on the Mount. I, I read through it. I've read through it many times. It's so good. And I'm reading his chapter on this passage, Matthew 6, treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. You guys still with me? I want to read a section to you. He's talking about finding the balance. You got to have money and you need some savings and all that kind of stuff. And all right, okay. There's a wisdom, there's a balance here. He says this. He says, how do we work this out in practice? Well, the first thing is to have a right view of life and especially a right view of the glory. That is the principle with which we started. The great fact of which we must never lose sight is that in this life we are but pilgrims. We are walking through this world under the eye of God, in the direction of God, and towards our everlasting hope. That's the trail. That is the principle. If we always think of ourselves in that way, how can we go wrong? I don't live here. I'm going to a celestial city that God's building. He says, everything will fall into position if you, fought, if you view yourself as a pilgrim. He goes on and says, we must always start with that great principle. If we have the right view... If we have a right view of ourselves in this world as pilgrims, as children of God going to our Father, everything falls into perspective. We shall immediately take a right view of our gifts and our possessions. We begin to think of ourselves only as stewards who must give an account of them. To whom? To the one who gave them to us. Okay? We are not the permanent holders of these things. It matters not whether it is money or ourselves, or intellect, or our personalities, or whatever gift we may have, the worldly man thinks he himself owns them all. But the Christian starts by saying, I am not the possessor of these things. I merely have them on lease. Uh, They do not really belong to me. I cannot take wealth with me. I cannot take my gifts with me. I am but a custodian of these things. Is that not fascinating? He just puts it all in perspective. It all comes back to the question of how I view myself and how I view my life in this world, because there is another world. We're pilgrims, guys. What what have you received that you have not been given? I jotted down some things that we've all been given. Number one, We've been given physical life. Read Psalm 139. David really delineates it. Number two, you've been given your personality. You've been given your temperament. You've been given certain gifts and certain aptitudes. If math comes easy for you, it's because When God formed you and fashioned you, I'm not going to take the time to read 139 of Psalms. 
But when God formed you and fashioned you, he gave you an aptitude for math. That's why it's easy for you, and it's a struggle for other guys. He gave you the, the cluster of gifts that you can build a business, and other guys, they don't have a clue. He gave you the ability to read people like a book. Other people can't do that. Everyone in here has been given certain gifts. He's given you certain gifts. He's withheld other gifts because we need to be independent on one another. That's the body of Christ. Okay. Um, he's, uh, he's given you eternal life, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You don't get everlasting life when you die. When you receive Christ, you're given everlasting life. You possess it. Romans eleven twenty two. the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. If he's giving you a gift, he doesn't take it away. Okay. Uh, he gives you purpose beyond your own plans. A lot of times our plans die and we're just struggling with meaninglessness. What am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, he'll pull something out of left field, and you go, oh, this is really wild. Gosh, I never thought of this. See, that's Ephesians 2.10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, that's the gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works you've never thought of. That God prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. They usually don't happen until we, till we torpedo our own lives. Then we call out to Christ, and now he puts us on the right trail, and now we just start following him. And we don't follow him perfectly, but he's so good and gracious and kind with our insecurities and our half-hearted obediences and our foolishness, which we still carry with us. He's just, he's faithful. Okay. Oh, I, I missed this. He gives you breath. It's fairly important. It should have been at the top. <laughs> Daniel 4.23. He's the God who gives to all men life and breath. You can't breathe without him. You can't, you can't breathe. You can use your brain. You can use your hands. You could lose that like that with a stroke. That's a gift of God. Family. Uh, Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. cross reference that with Genesis 2, 22. The man was alone, and it's not good for a man to be alone. So he gave him a wife. Not a perfect wife, a wife. Well, she was perfect, but then she screwed it all up. <laughs> Come to think of it. And we've all been struggling in marriage ever since. But you see, we're not wired to be alone. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And then Psalm 27, 128. Uh, 127 says, children are a gift from the Lord. Are a gift. So therefore, I would say grandchildren are a gift from the Lord because they're kids that have been given to your kids who are gifts to you in the first place. What do you have that you have not received? Here's another one. He gives you hardship. Now, that's one you don't want to hear, but it's honest. You've got hardship in your life right now that you don't want. You wish God would just take it away, but you're still dealing with it. May I say this to you? 
1 Thessalonians 3. Therefore, verse 1, when we could endure it no longer. I love that. Don't you? That Paul felt that way. Isn't there stuff in your life and your... I had a guy say to me at lunch, you know, Steve? I just need God. I just need, I just need to take, have him take this away. You know what he was saying? I can't endure this. But I, can endure, I can't endure this any longer. How long is this going to go on? Okay. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. Watch this, the afflictions in Paul's life. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Wow. We all have different afflictions, but the afflictions you have are part of God's plan for you on the trail at this particular moment in your life. David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. We learn from afflictions. We learn from hardship. I had a situation recently, and I, 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 I was just, I was, I was driving, and I was praying about it, and I just, and, I, and, and just out loud, because I talk out loud to the Lord in the car, because people think I'm, talking on my Bluetooth. <laughs> and I, I'm just saying, you know, Lord, I, I, and I, I was kind of, I was just talking, and I was just telling him about what was on my heart. And, I, and then I said, you know, but here's what I haven't done. I haven't given you thanks for this. What's that James passage say? Count it as joy. I'm not counting this as joy. I'm resenting this deeply. And you know, Lord, I'm wrong. Because you, you and, and, and then I said something like, and Lord, you know that passage in Thessalonians? I mean, I knew, he knew where it was. <laughs> that passage in Thessalonians, Paul says, and for this, we have been destined? Gosh, that's true of me. On the trail, I need this right now for some reason. Now, help me to not resent this. Give me grace and mercy to even thank you that you want to do something positive in my life through this. I don't see it yet. I don't get it. It it's, it's just wears me out. But I, I just, I worship you. Give me grace today. Deuteronomy something, something says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. When we can endure it no longer. You'll endure it. He'll give you grace for a day, and then tomorrow his mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3. Okay. And then, there's time, and then you know what he does sometimes? He brings them to an end. And you go through the valley of deepest darkness. You go through it, and then it's over. And you have a season of refreshment. Thank God for those times. But, but you'll have another, you'll have something else coming. Because we can't take we can't take easy lives. We can't take it. It'll sc it screws us up. Our hearts get all screwed up. We start loving pleasure and ease, and 
we, we get fat and we get lazy spiritually and we're not disciplined and we're not seeking God because we got everything we need. Who needs God? I got all this stuff. So he'll, the Lord gives and the Lord, oh, he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we accept prosperity from God and not adversity? Job says in chapter 2. Well, we should. Okay. But see, we've been appointed, and it's for our good. It's for our good. You ever afflict your kid? You should. You should. That's your job, is to love them and discipline them. Not to ruin them, to train them. You get it. Okay. Well, I've only got a couple hours left. So you're on your trail, and on your trail, what do you have that you haven't been given? You've been given a lot, but you also got some stuff that you don't want. Okay, now, here we go. I got seven minutes, so I want to read you a few quotes. This is called uh, the Puritan Theology, Doctrine for Life. The great Puritan pastors, uh, Joel Beakey and uh, Mark Jones, have compiled some of their statements, and they have a um, section on the providence of God. This is rich stuff. This is prime rib stuff. Uh, this is antioxidant stuff. This, this, uh, uh, J.I. Packer said that the Puritan pastors were physicians of the soul. I love that. Of the soul. We don't, I, it's a tragedy I, I went my whole life, I went for a long, long time in my life, I was aware of the providence of God. I didn't get into it until I was like 50. And, and it's the providence of God and the sovereignty of God is the most reassuring truths in all of the Bible. And, and the more you get into it, the more it stabilizes you. And the more it puts peace in your heart. When the world's going insane, you can just pretty stay, pretty much stay level. You have your ups and downs, but you can pretty stay, stay level because you, you believe in God's sovereignty and his absolute control, that he spoke the worlds into existence and that he sustains those on the trail of life. And he has special promises for those who belong to him and are in Christ that, that others don't have. He's good to all. The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. It's called common grace. He has specific grace for his people. I want to read you some. Uh, that, that, there's a thing called the Heidelberg Catechism. And when the Reformation took place under Martin Luther in Germany, and these people didn't know the Bible, and so a couple pastors in Heidelberg, of all things, got together so they could teach kids biblical truth, and they'd compress it, and they had all the verses listed. I'm not going to read you all the verses. I don't have time. But we need to know this stuff. Question 27 and 28. Here's question 27. What dost thou mean? That's the second time I've used the word dust. What dost thou mean? I like that word. What do you mean by the providence of God? Listen to, their, listen to this reply. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures. All of them. So that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruit and barren years, meat and drink and sickness, 
Riches and poverty, yea, and all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So, I don't know, years ago, I'm reading a guy named Thomas Boston, and he's talking about the province of God that extends even to the worms in the ground under your feet. So I started reading on earthworms. Earthworms are unbelievable. I never thought about it in my life. They make a farmer's job a lot easier if there are worms working the earth. Okay. Question 28. What advantage is it to know that God has created and by his providence doth still uphold all things? Is there an advantage to this? Listen. That we may be patient in adversity. Thankful in prosperity. And that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father that nothing shall separate us from his love. Since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Acts 17, in him we live and move and exist. Let me give you some verses if you want to write them down. It's in Ephesians 1. It's in front of me. I can't see it, but here's what it says. He works all things after the counsel of his will. That's what I was trying to get. He works all things. Not some things. He works all things. Even earthworms. Even herbs. He works all things after the counsel of his will. Is it verse 11? You know what's funny? I have it underlined in yellow. This is why I had difficulty getting out of high school. I'm just telling you the truth. We've been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the council as well. And one guy, somebody in here just woke up, you know, predestined, I don't like that word. Well, you better learn to love it because you can't go to heaven without it. You know all that means? How many of you guys, let me ask you something. Do you believe God has a plan for your life? Okay, then you believe in predestination. It just means God has a plan. That's better than anything you can come up with. Thank God for it. Thanks that you're on the, that you're on the, that he's enrolled you in the plan. Okay, that's all I'm going to say on that. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. All things are by him and for him and through him. In him all things hold together. He not only created the world, he sustains the world. He keeps it going. The law of gravity works because Jesus makes it work. Hebrews 1, 1, 3. Uh, God who spoke through the prophets in many portions in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his Son through whom he made the worlds and he upholds all things by the word of his power. All things, not some things, all things he upholds. He's the glue. He's the, he's the glue of your life. Okay. I'm down to one minute and one second. I got to give you a couple quotes. Um, a pastor by the name of Edward Corbett, who died in 1658, said this We cannot utter one word, think one thought, turn our eye, or move a finger without the concurrence of his power who gives life and breath and all things. We are utterly and totally dependent on the providence of God. 
But you see, once you're aware of the providence of God, we have to learn to submit to it. Especially when he calls us to hard things. Listen to this. Suffering, complica- suffering complicates and tests our surrender to God. That's where some of you guys are right now, in a really hard place. Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, you're right, unscheduled. Thomas Brooks observed, God who is infinite in wisdom and matchless in goodness has ordered troubles, yea, many troubles, to come trooping in upon us from every side. That's part of the trail. Keeps you close to Christ. We're prone to wander. You got many troubles coming in from many sides? You're running to Christ. Okay. John Owen wrote this. When, when hard times come, Owen said, we must fall down before God and acknowledge that he has the sovereign right to do as he pleases. And more two, I've had emails this week from two men I haven't talked with in a number of years. Each of them had a daughter die. One, I think, in her teenage years. Another guy emailed me. I haven't seen him in years. Just checking in, Steve. Been through some tough waters. Our youngest daughter uh, recently died giving birth to twins. Gosh. God's faithful. The guy lives in the Scriptures. That's why he has such a significant ministry to men. But he knows suffering. He knows suffering. He's on the trail. Okay? Listen to what Owen says. We must fall down before God, acknowledge that he has the sovereign right to do as he pleases. We must believe that he acts with wisdom, righteousness, goodness, love, and mercy in all that he does, even though it may be difficult to see that in the confusing vicissitudes, dizzying changes, and deep distresses of life. Now, here's something about John Owen, who just wrote that. That's easy to write. He had to live it because 11 of his, of his 12 children died in infancy. And his one daughter, who made it through infancy, died right around at the age of 20. He preceded, his kids all preceded him in death. Do you, do you think he didn't know what it was to have a broken heart? And here he is. He, he wrote volumes on the goodness of God. Submitting to the providence of God. But you see, there's also a hope in providence. And this would be Romans 8, 28. And we know, and do you know this, that God causes all things to work together for good. All things that happen in our lives are not good. Cancer's not good. Bankruptcy's not good. Rape's not good. Murder. Uh, They're not good. But you see, God, who is sovereign, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, I'm I'm done, but I want to leave you with 13 bullet points. You can't remember these. I just want to read them to you as you walk out of here because you'll walk out in courage encouraged, okay? Uh, And if you, uh, anyway, let me just read them to you. Here's the conclusion on God's providence. 13 bullet points, 13 principles. These help me today. Number one, God is in control of his universe. 
See, as I'm on my trail, he's in control of his entire universe, not just my life, the whole thing. Two, God is working out his perfect purposes also in my life. Three, God is not my servant. Four, God's ways are far more mysterious and wonderful than I can understand. Five, God is always good. Therefore, I can always trust him. Six, God's timetable is not the same as mine. That's why you're waiting, aren't you? Seven, God is far more interested in what I become than in what I do. Eight, freedom from suffering is not promised in the Christian gospel. Nine, suffering is an integral part of the Christian life. Ten, God works through suffering to fulfill his purposes in me. Eleven, God's purposes, not mine, are what bring him glory. Twelve, God enables me to read his providences through the lens of his word. Thirteen, I have few greater pleasures than tracing the wonder of God's ways. So we bow before you, Father, and we trace the wonders of your ways that we are even on the trail of life because you have given us life. What have we received? What do we have that we have not been given? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. We honor you. May this keep us steady and level this week. In Jesus' name, amen.